0: Well, as we gather and worship, uh, as I say so often, we join churches around this city, around the nation, around the globe, lift up the name of Jesus, and that's, that's why we gather. We worship a risen King, a risen Savior. And as we do so, we do so as followers of Christ, as dual citizens, so to speak. Scripture says we are citizens of heaven and citizens of this world as well. And as we navigate life, we encounter… we in many ways hit the crossroads of various things uh, that as a nation we formally celebrate. And on this Mother's Day, what a day it is. And as we do gather, we as a church encounter Mother's Day in a different way than the rest of the world does. And we enter into Mother's Day with a perspective that comes from Scripture. I love the fact that in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, it says this about God. Perhaps you have never considered this. In Hosea 11, verses 3 and 4, God, speaking about God's self, says this, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love, I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them, and it was I that fed them." So often we talk about God our Father, but God mothers us as well. And as we gather in this moment, we acknowledge the fact that every single one of us are children. We have biological mothers, surrogate mothers adoptive mothers, foster mothers, mentor mothers, spiritual mothers, and a God that mothers us. And as we enter this moment, we acknowledge the the vast spectrum of the human emotion. We rejoice with those who rejoice, we grieve with those that grieve. We know there's some today who are watching online because it's too hard to physically be here. And yet at the same moment, we are all children. Some of us have different relationships with our mothers. Some of us never knew our mothers. And yet every single one of us is alive today because somebody sacrificed, brought you to term, went through pain to give you life. And what a great reflection of God that is, a God that is willing to go to the depths a god that is willing to sacrifice a god that is willing to serve a god that is willing to incur pain upon oneself so that you would live so in this moment even as we gather here in this place as people are joining us online can we pause and as we reflect on those that have raised us that have brought us into this world that have mentored us that have shepherded us that have taught us that have corrected us As we look around this church, as we see mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers, as we see spiritual mothers, can we applaud? Can we give thanks to those in our lives that make us who we are today? Can we just give thanks as we look around? And As you look around this place, we know that that does not do justice to the outpouring of love and life that has been given. And at the same time, we as a spiritual family, as a church, we need more spiritual mothers to add to the amazing spiritual mothers that are. We need more spiritual mothers in every single area of our church. And maybe this is the season right now where you step forward, where you say, I want to serve, I want to teach, I want to coach, I want to mentor, I want to listen. I want to be a crying shoulder. I want to be a strength in someone's life. I want to give wisdom to somebody else. This is the season that we need you, women, to step forward, to join the amazing women of this church, to be more and more spiritual mothers. We need you, young and old. There's no early age, there's no too old age for you to step into that role of a spiritual mother. We have young girls who are spiritual mothers to infants in this church because of their commitment, their time, their shepherding, their volunteering. And as we gather in this moment, as we come back to God's Word, we're thankful that we have a God that sees you, that sees all of you, and that offers you something that no card, no flower, no moment in a church service can. So let's turn our hearts and minds back to that one And would you join me in prayer before we dive into God's Word? Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the Word that you have for us planned months ago. And may it be a Word that impacts every single one of us today, whether in person or joining online. Jesus, it's in your mighty and matchless name we pray and we sit together. Amen. If you could, would you open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, we're in a series right now. Walking through the book of Philippians, if you don't have a Bible or if you don't have access to it on your phone, if you can grab a pew Bible in front of you, it's that red book if you're here uh, in the sanctuary, if you're across the way in the 901 service. Those uh, Bibles are throughout the room. But as we turn to Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 11. And as a reminder, this was originally a letter to a group of Christians. Followers of Jesus in a town called Philippi in the first century. And as I read this, Philippians 3 1 through 11, I absolutely believe that there's something here for every single one of us. If we have the ears to hear, hearts open for what God would have for us. Let me read. Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, A Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the sharing of His sufferings by becoming like Him in His death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This, my friends, includes the reading of God's Word. All right, let's leave these Bibles open. We're going to walk through this in a moment. But even as we take a look at this, I imagine many of you uh, hear this and hear a lot of ancient language, first century language, labels and names and titles that uh, in many ways seem very removed from our cultural standpoint today. But the beauty of Scripture, Scripture says that it is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword that we believe now in 2017 that this text is as relevant today as it has ever been. That when Paul was speaking into the first century church in Philippi, that the same power that was there to transform that community is available to us today. And in many ways, I've been sharing with you that I wish that I could spend 17 years going through this book. I wish that I had the time to unpack the nuances in the Greek and the cultural context. I just love this stuff, but, but we don't have time. I've got 20 minutes. So if we could see it this way, we are going to hop in a plane. We're going to fly over a section of the Grand Canyon. And I want to point out three things that you might look down below that would cause you... Perhaps the desire to go back and to go down deeper. To not just settle with that quick overview, but that you would desire to come back to God's Word, that you would long for, that you would desire for, to uncover the riches that are found here. And as we fly over this section, many of you were taking notes. Some of you have a phenomenal memory. Uh, Either way, the three things that I want to point out are this. First, the need for Righteousness. And in fact, it's our greatest need as humans. Second, the obstacle of our righteousness. And perhaps it's the greatest obstacle there is. From the third, the greatest gift that God can give you in Christ's righteousness. So first, the need. For righteousness. Second, the obstacle of our righteousness. And third, the greatest gift that God can give you, which is Christ's righteousness. Three things that I want you to see as we fly over this section of the Grand Canyon of Scripture. So open those Bibles back up. Take a look at Philippians 3. And I want us to begin with verse 4. It says, If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. And Paul begins to list his resume. We live in a culture of resumes. And I want you to think about this idea of what a resume serves. It's a list of accomplishments. It's a list of things that you have done. It's a list of things that you've gone through. But the point of a resume is to get you on the inside of something that previously you had been on the outside. If you want to get inside a school, you have to have a particular resume To transfer your status from the outside of that school now on to the inside. And so, so much of our culture right now is building up that resume, no matter how young you are, we have people that are choosing their kids at the age of one to begin building that resume so they can get the right preschool, so they can get the right kindergarten, so they can get the right elementary school. I have a friend who says that I want to front load my investment in my kids and I'm going to pay five figures every year so that they can one day get a free ride to Harvard, to Stanford, to Ivy League school. You see, we live in a culture of resumes. And we don't just do this with school, we do this with jobs. If you want a job, if you want to get onto a set, if you want to be tasked with a project, If you want your name to be signed on as the DP, the director, the producer, you have to bring a certain resume so that you can go from a status of being on the outside to now on the inside. But we do this all throughout culture. Think about this. Your clothes, for many of you, are your resume. Think about that for a moment. I mean, how many of you actually give thought to what you wear? every day. It's not a trick question. And some of you, oh, that makes sense that you're not raising your hand, actually. Um, (laughs) Because you're confident. But many of us, we wear, do you know what I wear uh, every day in the nine o'clock service? I I don't normally wear clothes like this, by the way. Some of you wish, and you've told me that I would wear different clothes that I would dress up, that I would dress down. I I give a lot of thought to this. You, you give a lot of thought to this before you go over to a person's home the first day on a job, visiting somebody you've never met before. You see, the clothes that you wear, think about this, in, in some ways, culturally, it's a resume so that you can be accepted, so that you can be let in, so that you can be approved. Many of you, your kids are your resume. Their behavior is your resume. How your family interacts in public is your resume. How you come across confident in a situation is your resume. We we, we live in a culture where we are bound by resumes. We have this great need because the word resume and the word righteousness are so close together. Because the word righteous literally means to be approved, to be accepted. We long to be approved. We long to be accepted. And that's one of the reasons why Mother's Day is so hard for some and so great for others because part of our cultural landscape is that status, that title, is how culturally we are approved. We have value. You see, as humans, we have this deep longing. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We long to be accepted. We long to be approved. We long to fit in. We, we long for people to look at us and to say, You are enough. Come in. Come into relationship with me. Come into this school. Come onto this set. Come onto this opportunity. Come onto this vacation. Come onto this adventure. You see, we long to be approved. We long to be needed. We long to be wanted. And the Apostle Paul, he is culturally listing his resume. That laundry list. As a religious man, verses four all the way through six, that was his resume in the first century. As a religious leader, as a Pharisee, what's your resume? What are the things that you put up as being so part of who you are that they are part of your identity that you see that it's because of this I'm accepted? It's because of this that I'm approved. Is it because of what you've accomplished? Those are good things. Is it because of what you've done for society or your family? Is it because of your job? Is it because of your reputation? You see, every single one of us has a resume. You might not say, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. You might not list your resume this way, but I want you to personalize it. What is your resume? That at the core of who you are, that you believe it is these things, it is these character attributes, it is these things that I've accomplished that actually give me a sense of worth, a sense of value. That because of this, I am approved. You see, you have to identify those things because whatever those things are, Those things are your righteousness. And the Apostle Paul shows us that actually that thing is your greatest obstacle in life. The Apostle Paul goes so far, take a look here, he says in verse 7, whatever gains I had, this resume that I have, I have come to regard those as loss. Go down to verse 8. It says, I regard them as rubbish. He says, my resume, the thing that I've built my life on and personalize it for today. My Congressional Medal of Honor, my Pulitzer Prize, making CEO, being loved by my family. Whatever those things are, he says, I consider all of that. I consider it skibala. Let me hear you say skibola. Did you ever think you'd say a four letter word in church on Mother's Day? You see, we've kind of tiptoed around the graphic nature of what the Apostle Paul said there, skibola. And if you spoke Greek, especially Koine Greek, first century Greek, this common Greek, you'd be shocked at the fact that I just said that on Mother's Day of all times. It means excrement. A four-letter word for that. I'm not going to say it. It's Mother's Day, poopy diaper. <laughs> However you want to fill in whatever that is, you know that is messy, you know that is dirty, you know that is stinky. The Apostle Paul is saying that my resume that I've built my life on, it's a stinky diaper. It's a four-letter word, fill in the gap. He says it's nothing. It's waste. It's refuse. It belongs in the sewer, in a port-a-potty, you get my point? There's no way around this. The Apostle Paul is saying that there is this need that we all have to be approved. And the things that you've done in your life to get that approval, if you actually understand the gift that God has given you, it's your good deeds, the good things that you've done, this is what's so amazing. You see, so often we think church is where we hear about the bad things that we've done. We've got to stop doing the bad things, start doing the good things, then God will love us. That's not what a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. That's religion. I'll say it again. We often think that we go to church to hear the bad things that we've done, that we should repent, that we should turn from the bad things, that we should just start doing good things. No. The Apostle Paul was doing good things. He was living up to the law. And he says that those things were excrement compared to knowing Christ. We'll get there in a moment. He's saying that the good deeds, the good things that you do, actually are an obstacle to your relationship with God, perhaps more than the bad deeds that you do. You see, so often in life, we think that it's the bad things that we do that keep us from a relationship with God. That makes sense. My addiction, my hate, my bigotry, my bitterness, my inability to to extend forgiveness. Yes, those things do keep us from God, but equally so, the good things that you do, actually, if you put the soul of your weight on those things, that actually, if if you put your identity in those things, that equally keeps you from a relationship with God, receiving this gift that he has for you. Have you ever thought of it that way? That actually if I see my identity, my sense of self-worth, that if actually if I say the reason why I should be in a relationship with God because I am a pastor, or because I serve, or the reason why God should love me is because I pray, or I go to church, or because I give, or because I serve in this capacity, or I go on mission trips around the world, if you say that actually it's an obstacle. To receive you in the real gift that God wants to give you. You see, if you repent from your bad deeds, you're a good Pharisee. If you repent from your bad deeds and that's it, you're still not a Christian. You're still not a follower of Christ. To be a follower of Christ says, the bad things that I've done and the good things that I've done, each of those things, I can't put my worth on those things. No matter how bad that I've done, actually, that doesn't keep me from God, but actually the good deeds, they don't draw me close to God either. The Apostle Paul is saying that I have discovered this thing, this reality, that it's not just an idea, it's not just a proposition, it's not just this concept, it's not just a philosophy, I have discovered the true source of approval. The true gift that God wants to give. And he describes it this way. He says, beginning in verse 9... I consider all of that a loss and I want to, I want to be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ Jesus. The righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the sharing of His sufferings by becoming like Him in His death. Verse 10, let's take a look at this. He says, I want to know Christ. He doesn't say, I want to know about Christ. He just says, I I don't want to know about the teachings of Christ. I want to. And this is a highly relational word. He says, I want to know Jesus. I want to have an intimate relationship with him. And right there, he reminds us that Jesus wasn't just some great teacher that lived for 33 years and has been dead for 2,000. You see, Paul is writing this after Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This is 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and he's saying in a very personal and a very present-day reality, he says that I want to know Jesus. And if we go through life thinking that a relationship with God is just what we do for God, we miss this relationship that can happen today. What does that relationship look like in a very practical way? I was having a conversation with somebody this past week. About that book, how many of you have heard of the book, The Five Love Languages? Put your hands up. It's it's been out for a bit, and it talks about how as humans, we often, we give and receive love in different ways, and we have to understand the people in our lives like a language will interpret our acts of love in different ways, and we need to know how people receive love in order to give them love in ways that they understand. This is good on Mother's Day, by the way, because some are acts of service, some is quality time, some is gift-giving, some it's words of affirmation, there's five in total. And I, and I share with this person, you can actually take that and, and apply it to your relationship with God through Jesus. That some of you, you feel love when somebody spends quality time with you. Do you have any idea that you have a risen Savior that is alive and well? That all Jesus wants to do is spend time with you? that it's time for you and nobody else has time, that when everybody else is asleep, that when you're not even aware of it, that God wants to be with you, longs to just spend time with you, that when you open up God's word, when you spend time in prayer, that actually that's one of the ways, present tense in this moment that you can be with Jesus. Paul saying that I want to know Jesus. In fact, as we get into this summer, as we, as we change our schedule, one of the things that we're going to be doing is learning how we can be with God. And I, and I met with Pastor Karen and the other pastors this week, and they began to share with me some of their plans for what they have for us in between the two morning services. And it's phenomenal. Very practical ways to explore this. How do we have a relationship with God? How do we be with God? How do we realize that God is actually… Extended an invitation to us to be with God. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's remarkable. Acts of service. Maybe you feel love when somebody does something for you. Changes the oil of your car. Maybe you feel love when they take out the trash. When they actually set up something for you in a way that you couldn't do yourself. Well, that's the kind of love that God has for you. present tense, the Jesus, he wants to serve you. He's laid down his life for you, and he wants to do it in an ongoing way. And I can unpack all those five love languages, but God right now in this moment wants to have a relationship with you. The Apostle Paul says that I want to know Christ. Show of hands, how many of you are wearing glasses or contacts right now? Quite a bit. Now, how many of you were aware of your glasses or your contacts right before that, before I said anything? Anybody? Some of you are aware of that. Maybe they're dry. Maybe they're... They're, they're foggy, maybe they're uh, a little scratched. You know, what's interesting, when the lenses of your glasses or your contacts are doing what they're supposed to do, you don't notice them. And you're, you're able to see the world differently, clearly, in focus. I want you to take that metaphor and I want you to apply it to Jesus for just a moment. To be a follower of Christ, to know Christ, is to see everything in your life through Jesus, like contact lenses, like glasses, that actually as you enter into a situation, whether it's good or it's bad, you're, you're looking at it through the lens of a relationship with Jesus. Think about the best news that you can get. You just got that promotion, you just got that gift you're celebrating your family, whatever it is today, you're you're filled with joy and gratitude. Scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes from God, that actually the source of those good things in your life, those relationships, the gifts, the memories that you're going to make today, actually the source of all of that comes from God, so when you look at all of those blessings through the lens of a relationship with Jesus, you're thankful in such a deep way that even in those seasons where you lose those things, you lose the job, you just get the cancer diagnosis, you're still looking at the world through the lens of a relationship with Jesus and you say, how on earth, God, is this going to bring me closer to you? It changes the things that you worry about, changes the things that you're anxious about. And many of you you know my story with my wife, we've had many years of infertility, my son uh, Judah, who's now five-year-old, was an absolute gift from a gestational surrogate. My wife now is pregnant for the first time, which is an absolute miracle after 11 years of marriage. People never in a million years, and doctors would say, I would give up financially and emotionally and you ever having the chance to carry your own child. We are in the midst of that right now. My wife is 27 weeks pregnant. And two weeks ago, we go to the doctor, and the doctor says, there's something wrong with your baby's heart. Heart drops. It could either be nothing or it could lead to heart failure. Thanks a lot, doc, are you kidding me? And isn't that life? It could be nothing, or you could die. And then you go to WebMD, and you go to Google, and you start looking at stuff, and things get worse, and it's compounded. And so what do we do in that moment? Right there in that moment, we looked at that situation through the lens of Jesus. And normally, we'd be filled with worry and anxiety. What do we do? We asked for prayer. We texted our small group, would you pray for us? We asked others, would you pray for us? I said in that moment, I guess God has just given us another opportunity to trust Him more. It feels like there's a lot of those situations lately, isn't it? And we just trusted. we trusted. Now let me say this, I believe God answered that prayer before the doctor gave us some news. Because the whole point of this story and I don't want you to take it this way, that I'm sharing this story that I can just say, you know, if just by the power of prayer and you believe, then a problem with a heart can be fine. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, God can do that. God can do miracles far beyond what we can imagine. God is a miracle worker. We believe in miracles today, absolutely. But the point of why I'm sharing this is this, that that doctor's appointment on Tuesday morning as we leaned into prayer and trusting God and reading scripture and allowing people to speak truth into our lives, that actually the next three days were filled with a sense of peace. With a sense of just trusting God. With a sense of God, I have no idea what you're doing, but... Would you draw me closer to you in the midst of this?" And yes, that Friday, my wife went. And the doctor said, I can't believe it. The heart is fine now. There's nothing wrong. It's it's like this miracle, which is amazing. Which is amazing, We praise God. And my wife says, well, a lot of people have been praying. and It was a chance to share her faith in that moment with the doctor. But I share all of that to say that there was a moment That normally, if I would have looked at that moment through the lenses of this world or my good deeds, I would have said, God, why are you allowing this to happen, which I've done before? I love you. I'm a pastor. I've done all these good things. I would be a good parent. You owe me, God. You see, when we look at the world through the lens of our righteousness, our resume, we are bitter at God. We're angry at God. God, you owe me. when we look at the situations of our life through the lens of Jesus, the things that used to cause us worry, it's real. We don't avoid it. It's very raw and, and filled with emotion. But we have a new resource to navigate through it. You see, this greatest gift that God wants to give you, it's not to add another line on your resume. I used to think that when I was younger, I used to think that to be a Christian was to simply add a line on my resume. I went to USC, I went to this high school, I did these great things, and I'm a Christian, kind of like down in the special interest column on the second page. You know what God wants to do? He wants to say, I I see your resume. And it's not so bad that I'm not going to give you this gift, and it's not so good that you don't need this gift. But let me just move those aside and let me slide across the table to you a new resume. It's Christ's resume. It's his life. It's his perfect love. It's his perfect forgiveness. It's his perfect death. And actually, I, I, if, you would just, if you just move aside, friends, your resume, your good deeds, your bad deeds, just long enough for God to slide across the table the the resume of Jesus, then you'll actually see this great gift that God wants to give you. And when the Apostle Paul says that I want to know Christ and I want to receive this righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus, what he's saying is that I'm putting aside my resume, my righteousness, and I'm receiving the righteousness of Christ, the approval that comes through Christ that when God looks at me, he looks at me. Have you thought about it that way? He looks at me through the lens of Jesus. It's as if God has contact lenses or or glasses on, that when he looks at you through faith and trust in him, he looks at you in Christ, through Christ. He says, you too are my beloved child. You are loved, you are perfect. So, why in Zephaniah it says that God rejoices over you with singing. In Ephesians two ten, it says that you are God's masterpiece. That God loves you and he adores you. And the Apostle Paul says that I, I consider all of this just waste and excrement for the joy of just being in a relationship with that one, to know him, to have his intimacy with him. And he goes on, he says, and to know the power of his resurrection. And let me just end with this. He says, and to know the power of his resurrection. You see, this isn't just about having a relationship with Jesus. This is about having a relationship with Jesus and having the Holy Spirit, which Romans 8 says, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. This isn't just about having a relationship with Jesus. This is about that plus Living a life that God longs for you, desires for you, giving you the power to actually move out into this world to make a difference. To be light in a dark world. To be salt in a world that needs preservation and healing and flavor brought out of it. To go out in this world with boldness. As followers of Christ, to go out in this world with strength, with confidence, with humility. To actually go out in this world in its brokenness and to say not just I'm going to point out the problem, but I'm going to be part of the solution in ways that the government can't in itself, that, that education can't in itself, in ways that, that just good books can't in themselves, that we actually as the body of Christ, ambassadors for Christ, part of expanding the kingdom of God, that's how revival and renewal happens. Among every person, every neighborhood, every city, when we lean into living out the power of His resurrection in us. And that's one of the seasons as we move into this summer that we have to lean into. You've heard me say that we can't just be a worshiping and going church. You know, a worshiping and going church cultivates a relationship with God, but it doesn't develop the power of the resurrected life in us. And I want us to move from a worshiping and going church to a worshiping and growing church. And so that time in between our morning services this this summer as it begins on June 11th is an opportunity for us to grow in those areas, not just in our relationship with God, not just what we learn from Him in being with God, but also what we do. And as a reminder that we have opportunities after the traditional service as it moves to the 8.30 a.m. time, that at 10 a.m. we want to open up God's Word. We're going to continue to do that. And we want to grow as a family, as a spiritual family. And we're going to have opportunities for the youngest to have children's programming. We're going to have uh, three months to fifth grade available in all three services. So if some of you are thinking about this summer, you're used to coming in the morning when we only offer children's programming. I want you to know that we're going to have children's programming at the 8.30 a.m., the 11 a.m., and the 5 p.m., We're going to have opportunities in between the two morning services for children and youth to grow. We're going to have opportunities for us as adults in multi-generational ways to not only grow in our relationship with God, but how we live that out, how we tangibly follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. The things that you are experiencing in open word, we want to take that and leverage it for the whole church as we continue to open up God's word. The things that you're experiencing in growing families, we want to take that and leverage that for the whole church, that we would be a bigger, growing family. And as we enter in this season together, there's no turning back, church. And I firmly believe this that we as a church, we are being called out. And I'll say it this way we're being called out of Egypt to a new reality. And many of us, we want to stay in Egypt. It's comfortable, it's what we've known, it's been our routine, it's been, been our rhythm. And some of you might be saying, What's wrong with now? And how could you apply that to Egypt? We're not enslaved. Oh, yes, we are. We are enslaved to routine, we are enslaved to status quo, we are enslaved to being a siloed church. And God is calling all of us, and we believe this, our session believes this, our pastors believe this, our staff is leaning into this, and I'm calling all of us to be in prayer that as we follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone, we have no idea what God is leading us into, what God is promising for us, but I believe that it's in that place that we're going to thrive, that we're going to trust God even more. That our relationships with God and each other is going to deepen in a deepen and tremendous ways that actually we can put into practice this. That we can know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him. Some of you are gonna suffer. You're gonna to have to wake up earlier. Come at 8:30. The eleven o'clockers, they're gonna to have to suffer by showing up at 10 a.m. And in those micro-sufferings, and I do call them micro-sufferings, because there's people around the world that know suffering in ways that we have no idea. There's people that are going through suffering actually silently in this congregation that we're not even aware of. And even in that moment, the Apostle Paul looks at suffering in a different way than the world looks at it. looks at it through the lens of Jesus with the... the the glasses, the the contact lens of Jesus, and he says that actually in suffering we can become like Christ. It's not God's punishment to us, but actually in these things that we can actually become transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says this, all the good things I've ever done, I consider it waste compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Can you say the same? Let's pray. God, these are weighty issues, eternal thoughts. And yet, God, will we return to the simplicity of this, that you are a God that longs to give us a gift, the gift of life, the gift of love, the gift of being accepted by the one whom it matters the most. God, would we lay down our bad deeds? Would we lay down our good deeds? And with empty hands of faith, would we receive? Would we hold on to this great gift that you give us? And may that change how we live in love and go out of this world. In Jesus' name we pray and we sit together. Amen. Amen.